We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Welcome, everybody, to episode 460 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. You can always follow me on Twitter at NFL. I am a writer and editor for Packer Report. Before we even jump into tonight's exciting victory for the Packers, I just want to take the time to say thank you. We are at 460 episodes already, and I just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Thank you to the incredible team I have for pumping out content each and every day. This has been one hell of a ride, and I appreciate all of you so incredibly much. And of course, it makes it that much more fun when the Packers are 7-1 and one and playing really enjoyable football. So thank you very much. I just wanted to start with that today because I don't always get to say that, and I can't tell you how much it means to me that you support this podcast, you support our team, and again, to the incredible team that we have here on the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But of course, onto this exciting football game, a Packers 31 to 24 win over the Kansas City Chiefs, moving them to 7 and 1 on the season. This was a really crazy game. I don't know that a lot of people expected this to be a shootout once they found out that this was Aaron Rodgers versus Matt Moore and not Aaron Rodgers versus Patrick Mahomes, uh, but it was. This was a very enjoyable game to watch. It was very close throughout. Uh, you know, I think with Matt Moore in this game, 
people thought that maybe this was just going to be an easy win for Green Bay. And that certainly was not the case. And that was not what I had expected coming in. In fact, my you know breakdown heading into this game was do not overlook the Kansas City Chiefs and Matt Moore coming into this game because they have the opportunity to beat you. They are a very good football team playing in a very tough venue. Yes, one of the greatest players in football right now, Patrick Mahomes, is out. But you give Andy Reid a few extra days of prep. Remember, they're coming off a of Thursday night football. So he gets a few extra days to prepare and you still have Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, and a plethora of other weapons, Shady McCoy. You know, Andy Reid's going to do work in that scenario, and he's going to know that he needs to game plan the hell out of a game like this, and that's exactly what he did. So this isn't super, uh, you know, unexpected for what I thought maybe this game could potentially be, but Green Bay got out of there a victory with a victory, and kudos to them for, for doing so. I kind of want to start today by just breaking down the game kind of possession by possession, because it was a, a back and forth game. There were certainly some ebbs and flows. You start with the the Packers taking the opening kickoff and really driving down the field and kind of taking control of this game early. They went 10 plays, 74 yards, and you ended up with a touchdown from Aaron Rodgers to Aaron Jones on the little pop pass. Uh, Jones, gets in, Jones gets in the end zone uh, behind the blocking of Jamal Williams. They had both running backs in on the play. And they take that quick 7-0 lead. Things are off to a great start. I thought this was a fantastic drive by Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers. You know, you could tell that they put some time game planning in as well. They took advantage of the Chiefs. You had a couple penalties on that drive. You had the delay a game. You also had a holding by David Bakhtiari. So they were behind some uh, difficult downs and distances, and they still were able to get all the way down the field and, of course, get that touchdown from Aaron to Aaron to make it 7-0. You then had back-to-back three and outs. Chiefs went three and out. Packers went three and out. Chiefs get the ball back first and 10 on Green Bay's 30. So if you remember, Aaron Rodgers took kind of a, a bad sack. It was like a 17-yard sack. J.K. Scott follows it up with a, probably one of his worst punts of the season. He, he had a little bit of a rough day in the swirling winds in Kansas City. Uh, but all of a sudden, the Chiefs find it uh, first and 10 on Green Bay's 30-yard line. So immediately, they're in field goal range. And I thought this was one of Green Bay's best defensive stands of the game. They force a three and out. Actually, Kansas City lost yards on that drive. And Kansas City follows it up by missing the field goal. And the game stays seven to nothing and really kind of flips field position a bit as well. Green Bay gets it on their own 40 uh, rather than after a kickoff where they're probably down at their own 20 to 25 yard line as well. So that was a a big game changing play uh, and a big game changing drive for the Packers defense. Uh, Green Bay follows that up then with a four play 60 yard drive. Of course, uh, Aaron Rodgers hit the big play downfield to Aaron Jones. Looked like it was going to go 60 yards for the touchdown instead he stepped out around the 10-yard line. A little bit of an error there for Aaron Jones, one of his very few on the day. He had a fantastic day, uh, and uh, we'll definitely talk about that in more detail in just a moment. Uh, But still, 50-yard play to Aaron Jones caps uh, that four-play 60-yard drive, and Green Bay, of course, is up 14 to nothing. It seemed like maybe this was going to be a game where they were able to kind of be on cruise control a little bit. Of course, that did not end up being the case, but again, uh, great job by Green Bay getting a 14-0 lead early on the the road, uh, kind of taking the crowd out of it a little bit and at least giving them a chance uh, and the defense a chance to really play from ahead, which is always advantageous. Unfortunately, Kansas City struck back immediately. 
12-play, 89-yard drive, chewing up six minutes and 14 seconds of the clock. Of course, this was the play where Travis Kelsey had the wide-open touchdown. Really a nice ball by Matt Moore. He really kind of lollipopped it up in the air so that Kelsey had enough time to run under it and really locate it, and it ended up being a very easy touchdown for Travis Kelsey, and it was all of a sudden 14-7 Green Bay. Uh, Packers followed it up immediately with a punt, and Casey comes right back, five plays, 62 yards to make it 14-14. This was the McCall Hardman uh, 30-yard touchdown pass from Matt Moore, some poor tackling on the play. Kevin King had an opportunity to make a play. Preston Smith kind of got caught in no man's land, and Casey is right back in this thing, 14-14. And then Green Bay follows up with another punt. Casey follows it up with a field goal, and all of a sudden, Green Bay is losing after having that tremendous 14-0 lead to start the game. Green Bay would run a few plays before sending it to halftime, and KC had to be feeling great. Matt Moore at quarterback, 17-14 lead at halftime, plus Kansas City gets the ball to start off the second half. And I thought that was really where things started to change a little bit in this game. KC gets the ball to open up the second half, and Green Bay holds them to a punt after a really rough second quarter in which Green Bay lost 17 to nothing in the second quarter. Kansas City was running on all cylinders. Green Bay has the opportunity to take a look at things at halftime, make some adjustments, and immediately holds Kansas City to a punt to start the second half. Green Bay then goes 15 plays, 72 yards. They only, uh, you know, cap it off with a field goal uh, to make it 17-17. But that 15 play, 72 yard drive, I thought was really the start of wearing down that Kansas City defense. And later in the game, that would really pay dividends uh, because even in that next play, uh, after the 17 to 17, you know, tie game for Green Bay, Kansas City gets the ball back one play one fumble. And of course, this was really the game-changing play. Kansas City had the ball, tie game, third quarter. They really needed to give their defense a rest after having that 72-yard, 15-play drive by Green Bay. And instead, they only have it for one play, fumble the ball away to Green Bay at the 27-yard line, and Green Bay wastes no time. They try a little trickery to start off with a little bit of a flea flicker that doesn't work, Uh, but they go five plays, 27 yards for a touchdown. This was the the drive that was capped off by Aaron Rodgers to Jamal Williams on just that absolutely ridiculous touchdown pass, which we'll also get into in just a little bit. And Green Bay took a 24-17 lead, and it kind of finally felt like, okay, Green Bay can settle into this game a little bit. They weathered the storm. Their defense is playing a little bit better. They've got the lead in the second half. Not so fast. Kansas City gets the ball back. 10 plays, 75 yards, touchdown for Kansas City, and all of a sudden it is 24 to 24. Kansas City's right back in it. They are not going away in any way, shape, or form, but that was then when the big play happened for Green Bay. Two plays, 75 yards, a 31 to 24 uh, lead, and Aaron Jones, just another massive play uh, to get Green Bay on the board, and again, take that seven-point lead. And that was this really uh, the the last time where where Green Bay needed a big play and really had to had the ball on offense and needed to go down and score because after this, Casey gets the ball and punts after six plays. So six plays, huge breakup by Chandon Sullivan on third down, so Green Bay could get the ball back uh, with the seven point lead. 
And all of a sudden, with all these big drives, again, you had the 15-play drive earlier. Uh, you had a 10-play drive by Kansas City. And all of a sudden, you know, Casey had the ball six more plays and was running clock as well. All of a sudden, there's only five minutes left in this game. And Green Bay gets the ball five minutes, four seconds left on their own two-yard line and runs out the clock. An 11-play, 36-yard drive, running out five minutes and four seconds, of course, icing it with a completion to Aaron Jones on third down to bring it to the two-minute warning. And of course, Casey had no timeouts left, which allowed Green Bay to kneel down three times and get the heck out of Kansas City with a win. So back and forth, Uh, I thought Andy Reid had a really great game plan. I thought Matt Moore played really well and uh, a tough day for the defense. And I think at first glance, this seemed like a really difficult game for the defense. I was actually a little bit surprised, uh, to be honest. When I went back and kind of looked at the stats, I was expecting Kansas City to have about 450 yards of offense, something like that. That's kind of what it felt like during the game. But Kansas City actually only had 337 total yards of offense, They had less than 250 yards passing. They had less than 90 yards rushing. Of course, Green Bay did come up with the big turnover. They had a couple sacks. We finally got to see a couple of Zadarius Smith sack celebrations. They did limit Kansas City to 24 points on the road. Uh, And you you had that big explosion by Kansas City in the second quarter where, again, they won 17 to nothing. But outside of that, they only allowed seven points. And I know you can't take away a quarter or 17 points. But I I think at, at first glance, like I said, this felt like Kansas City was moving the ball up and down the field and they were consistently making plays. And and like I said, I was expecting KC when I looked at the stats to have about 450, 480 yards uh, just based on how the game felt. So I was a little bit surprised to see only 337 total yards of offense. Uh, Tackling was a big issue. No question there. You saw tackling issues, bad angles, just the inability to get Kansas City playmakers to the ground, whether that was Tyreek Hill, whether that was Travis Kelsey, Shady McCoy, it didn't seem to matter too much. McCole Hardman had the, the big touchdown where there was a lot of yards after the catch. So I thought that was a massive issue. It's reared its ugly head as, as far back as preseason when they were having tackling issues. It hasn't always been the case throughout the season, uh, but it definitely was today. I saw Kevin King miss at least a few tackles. Darnell Savage missed a few tackles. And by no way, shape, or form were they the only culprits in this game. But that is something that absolutely needs to get cleaned up. But I, I thought it maybe wasn't quite as bad as I initially expected it to be uh, after I watched that game. Now, this is no, by no way, shape, or form a, a beautiful performance by the defense. You know, this is a backup quarterback uh, playing for Kansas City and Matt Moore. And I think the expectations were a, a little bit higher for the defense here. And a lot of times they didn't have a, a ton of answers for this Andy Reid offense. Now, I give Andy Reid all the credit in the world. I think he is one of the absolute best play callers at least in the regular season, sometimes in the postseason thing, he kind of seems to run out of magic a little bit. But in the regular season, especially for a team like Green Bay, who who doesn't see Kansas City very often, once every four years, this is not a team that they spend a ton of time scouting. You know, Andy Reid had those few extra days to prepare, as I mentioned earlier, uh, but give Andy Reid all the credit in the world. He had a fantastic game plan. If you look at Matt Moore's completions, 
it's not like these were contested throws the majority of the day. These were open receivers, and for a good chunk of the day, Andy Reid's offense was ahead of Mike Patton's defense. And, uh, you know, credit Mike Patton and the defense for coming up with some big stops when they needed it most. Uh, that, that turnover by, uh, you know, Tyler Lancaster forcing it and recovering it was really one of the massive game-changing plays in this game. And who knows how this game ends up without that specific turnover. But I think... I'm excited to go back and watch this game in more detail because I don't know that the the defensive performance was necessarily as bad as I first expected it to be, Uh, but that doesn't mean they win any awards for it either, and there's a lot to clean up after this game. And I also want to say this. Let's not pretend that regardless of who's at quarterback, that Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill aren't massive matchup problems and create a ton of problems for opposing defenses. And as I tweeted during the game today, thank goodness Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid are far away in the AFC West and Green Bay only needs to play those guys once every four years or maybe in a Super Bowl. We'll see. Uh, But it's just a tremendously talented group. Andy Reid knows how to get the most out of those type of players. You saw their speed in action today. Tyreek Hill, McCole Hardman, Shady McCoy, that whole group was so explosive and really fun to watch. I mean, that that it's it's fun to see Sammy Watkins is another one when you see an offense like that that's just getting in space and just creating explosive plays you know Green Bay did it too with Aaron Jones and some of their playmakers but you could see the speed that that uh you know Kansas City offense plays with and like I thought it was a lot of fun to watch and uh, a lot of credit goes to that coaching staff and setting Matt Moore up for success. Uh, But again, take nothing away from Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, who again are two of the best in the game. Kansas City was banged up all over the place, but when you have those two, you have a puncher's chance. And and Hill and Kelsey specifically, I thought opened up not only a lot of plays for themselves, but the attention that those two took from the rest of the defense just opened things up for the rest of Kansas City's offense again. So again, thankfully, Hill and Kelsey far away, and Green Bay doesn't have to see either of them very, very often at all. I want to take a couple minutes here just to talk about that Aaron Rodgers throw to Jamal Williams, because that was one of those Aaron Rodgers vintage throws that you just you don't even know what to make of it. So I think just about everyone probably listening to this, when Rodgers first threw the pass, it was it was a throwaway, a throwaway out of bounds, and uh, they were either going to go for it on a, a fourth and short uh, at the goal line, or they were going to kick the field goal in that specific situation. But what a throw. Uh, Rodgers described it after the game. He said as he was rolling right, he was trying to throw a ball where Jimmy Graham could go up and potentially catch the ball. But he said he also saw a receiver for Green Bay streaking in the back of the end zone. So he kind of threw a 50-50 ball where maybe Graham could go up and get it. But if not, hopefully the player streaking in the back of the end zone could. And he kind of gave a a sly grin and said, you know, thankfully the, the guy in the back of the end zone did. Whether he was attempting for Jimmy Graham or, you know, was throwing up a 50-50 or did see a flash in the back of the end zone, it it ultimately doesn't matter. And it'll go down as one of those vintage Aaron Rodgers moments one way or the other. And it's just that type of play that has made him so great throughout the course of his career. It, It put his players in a position to succeed. He evaded pressure. There were some players that looked open underneath. I'm excited to see the the all 22 on that play uh, to see what he was kind of looking at. But no matter the case, I mean, the ball placement in the very back of the end zone, no matter what, that was a ball that either Green Bay was going to come up with or nobody was going to come up with. That was a perfect placement, 
period. End of story. I don't know who he was attempting or, or what the situation was there. But again, he put in a situation where that was either going to be Graham, it was going to be uh, Williams, or it was going to be out of bounds and incomplete. Kansas City had no chance to come up with that and talk about a better uh, option than just throwing it out of bounds and uh, not giving your players a chance. So I think at times Rodgers uh, gets you know taken to task a little bit for maybe not throwing up some jump balls and giving his, his team an opportunity to come up and make a play. In that situation, in that specific scenario, he he gave his players an opportunity to go make a play. And Jamal Williams, too, take nothing away from him on that play either. That was a really difficult catch. Uh, the degree of difficulty was uh, very high. I thought, uh, you know, the the linebacker, whoever it was that was covering him, I think it was either linebacker or safety, was all over him on the play. And not only that, he's got Jimmy Graham, a, what, six, seven, you know, mammoth human being jumping up right in front of him. He's got the end, you know, the back of the end zone to worry about. So he's got to get his feet down, you know, secure the catch, make sure that he completes the, the catch through the process and that he doesn't lose it on his way of going to the ground. And all of that in like a, a split matter of milliseconds, I'm sure, as he's trying to process everything. So hell of a play by Jamal Williams, hell of a play by Aaron Rodgers. And that's just one of those that'll be played on replay over and over and over as well it should be. Uh, and if you have a chance, uh, listen to Wayne Larravee on the call as well. He does a fantastic job of it. It's on my Twitter timeline. Uh, you can go out and listen to that. Uh, that was one hell of a call by Wayne Larravee as well. And you could tell his excitement from watching that play live. Uh, one of the, the greats uh, making the play call of one of the greats out on the field. Uh, you love to see situations like that. The other uh, kind of moment that I wanted to touch base on in this game outside of that Rodgers to Williams throw was that five-minute drive to end the game. So I thought Darius Shepard made a mistake here, uh, not fielding that punt. I thought he fields that punt and they probably get the ball around their own 17-yard line. Instead, he lets that bounce and it goes down to the two-yard line for Green Bay, just putting them in a really difficult position with five minutes left you get in a situation like that, and so many times it's three and out, you're punting from your own end zone, and all of a sudden Kansas City is going to get the ball probably first and 10, maybe around Green Bay's 40, 45, maybe midfield, uh, down only seven points with about five-ish minutes, four or five minutes left. Uh, they would have been in peak position. Instead, Kansas City never saw the ball again. Started with a six-yard run by Aaron Jones, a two-yard run by Aaron Jones to make it third and two. And then it looked like Aaron Rodgers actually checked to a running play, uh, which was really a fantastic call by him. Uh, it, it certainly seemed like a check because he was trying to get everything, you know, relayed to the offensive line and the offensive players. As that clock was running down, there's only about two seconds left they snap it. It is a handoff to Aaron Jones who cuts right and gets it around the corner to pick up a, a massive first down. He picks up four yards on that run uh, to make it first and 10. He then follows that up with a nine-yard run, which Matt LaFleur was uh, pretty adamant uh, that he was uh, frustrated with the spot on that play, thought that Jones should have had a first down. In the end, it actually behooved Green Bay to have it second and one because Kansas City burned a timeout there and then Aaron Jones on the very next play picks up a first down, giving him a new set of downs. So that next play was a five-yard run by Aaron Jones to pick up the first. Uh, Jamal Williams then got in for one carry, picked up two yards, then another three-yard run by Aaron Jones, and then third and five. 
and really one of the bigger plays of the game because again uh you had a you had a decision to make here right so third and five there's uh you know a little or there's two minutes left in the game or a little over two minutes left in the game excuse me uh, you complete that pass and uh it's it's over they can kneel down three times uh and Kansas City can't stop the clock but you run the ball there and it basically makes it so that Kansas City gets the ball with about only a minute and 10 left, no timeouts, probably deep in their own territory, and you're going to make Matt Moore go out and beat you. Uh, you know, throwing an incompletion or something out of bounds where they don't pick up the first uh, is going to give, you know, Matt Moore and that Kansas City offense a chance with about two minutes left, a little less than two minutes left. Uh, so I think that was a very interesting uh, decision there for Matt LaFleur. And as his motto from last week, you know, all gas, no break. He put the hand, the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands to go out and make a play. Trusted him that if it wasn't there, uh, you know he would probably eat the sack, let the, the 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 clock keep running, and then they would have punted from there. But this was an easy completion to to Aaron Jones. He works his way wide open. I thought Chris Collinsworth really did a fantastic job. You know he's one of my favorite, uh, you know, play by or uh, you know. Uh, announcers, uh, you know, I guess color commentators uh, in the game, just because he notices some of those trends. And he really did a great job of pointing out how Green Bay was looking for that single one-on-one matchup with Aaron Jones against linebackers all day long. They Kansas City really had no answer for it. Uh, they got the matchup that they wanted on uh, third down there, and it was just an easy pitch and catch. And great job by Aaron Jones, just another great route, secured the catch, got out of bounds in that situation because it didn't matter. Uh, once again, once they picked up the first down, they can just kneel three times and get out of there with the win. So I thought the, the play call by LaFleur was fantastic. And again, just breaking down that five-minute drive one more time, six-yard run Jones, two-yard run Jones, four-yard run Jones, nine-yard run Jones, five-yard run Jones, two-yard run by Williams, three-yard run by Jones, and then the completion to Aaron Jones. And that's really why Aaron Jones was my MVP of this game. Not only did he have 13 carries for 67 yards, not only did he have seven catches for 159 yards and two touchdowns, but it was really just that dagger at the end of the game and how he kind of finished that game. They put that game in Aaron Jones's hands at the end of the game. They really put that entire uh, game plan in Aaron Jones's hands, and he responded play in and play out. He did have that misstep out of bounds that really should have given him another 10 yards and another touchdown. Should have had 236 yards and three touchdowns on the day. I think he'll settle for 226, two touchdowns in the win, but just a phenomenal day by Aaron Jones. And uh, I, I thought a great, great play year uh, game plan and design by Matt LaFleur. Once again, they found a matchup that they liked with Aaron Jones matched up against linebackers, matched up against slower players, and they exploited it again and again and again. And I think if, if there's one thing that I will say that really speaks volumes to Matt LaFleur as a play caller so far. He finds a weakness on defenses and he is not afraid to go to the well over and over and over until you show that you can stop it. You know, I thought there've been games this year where he found like, at Philadelphia, you know, I know they lost that game, but I thought that was a really great example of this as well, where they were covering everything deep and they were shutting down the run and everything underneath was open. So they just kept throwing underneath, you know, routes over and over and over, you know, working their way down the field. 
They had good yardage and point production in that game. They had a couple uh, plays in the red zone that didn't go their way. Of course, uh, you know, the the interception at the end of the game there, they had four chances from the, the one yard line. They couldn't get the production in that Eagles game in the red zone, but the, the play design and the game plan up until that point and really the adjustments in game in Philly was fantastic. And then again today, they didn't have an answer for Aaron Jones in the passing game. And every single time where they needed a big play, uh, they went to Aaron Jones and that specific situation got the matchup that they wanted. And it was perfect. So kudos again to, to Matt LaFleur for the design and and just not being afraid to keep going back to something. I think that's something that is a lost art at times. You know, back in the day, you know, the, the power sweep and things like that, you know, play callers would call the same play over and over until you show that you can stop it. And, you know, the NFL is advanced where you can't specifically just run the same play over and over. Teams are too good for that. But I do think there is uh, sometimes a lack of consistency by an offense and a play caller when something is working of, you know, go back to it quite a few times. If they can't stop it, you know, don't do them a favor by not running it. And uh, again, I've been very impressed with Matt LaFleur up until this point by having that mindset and attacking those weaknesses and, you know, not letting the, the, the defense breathe and showing no mercy, keep attacking it. And whether that's, you know, all gas, no break or whatever you want to call it, it's been impressive and it's, it's been a lot of fun to watch. Oh, by the way, Aaron Rodgers, not too shabby of a game either. 23 of 33, 305 yards, three touchdowns. He did take five sacks in this game. I thought the the pass protection was a little bit leakier than normal. Not something I expected coming in with with no Chris Jones and uh, you know with with no Frank Clark. They were missing really two of their better players. And then uh, Alex Okafor had some injury issues as this game went on as well. One of their other best pass rushers. So they were really down uh, to to their last players on the defensive line, but they had no trouble getting pressure. I thought Steve Spagnuolo brought a variety of different blitzes that really kind of confused Green Bay, especially in the second quarter. They were able to make great adjustments in the second half, but that second quarter certainly was an issue. And that, you know, five sacks was a problem that put them in a lot of tough situations. Um, He also had the near interception to Bashad Breland uh, on on a throw to Jimmy Graham. And I thought a lot of that was a little bit after he got hit out of bounds. Uh, that that next play he threw short to Jimmy Graham, kind of threw it at his feet. Uh, the, the next drive, if I remember correctly, I think he, he was trying to hit Graham and, and Breland uh, almost intercepted it. He, he went through a spell in that second quarter where things weren't exactly clicking uh, for him and, and the offense. Some of that was pressure. I'm not sure if, if he got nicked up a little bit there and was able to kind of work it off uh, you know, after halftime or what happened, but there was a, a period in that game where he did look a little bit rattled, didn't look like he did uh, through the rest of that game, both the first quarter and the second half. Uh, let's just put it this way. The second half, the second quarter was a nightmare all the way around. The offense, the offensive line, Aaron Rodgers had some bad plays. The defense gave up 17 points. It was a nightmare quarter and uh, it was what it was, but Green Bay had uh, really played, you know, won the other three quarters, which is why they were able to to get out of there with a win, even when you lose a, a quarter 17 to nothing. I also thought Rogers six rushes for 29 yards and actually three of those were, were kneel downs at the end of the game. So it was really like three rushes for like 35 yards. 
uh, came at really some opportune times when they needed to pick up some first downs. I thought Kansas City, uh, you know, was playing, uh, you know, a variety of pressure defenses. They were playing some zone. They were playing some man. When he caught them off guard with a couple of those running plays to pick up some first downs, I thought it was just really smart moves by him uh, to take advantage of something that they they weren't looking for at that specific time. So again, he was he was his usual maestro on offense, finding open receivers, uh, getting the ball to Aaron Jones, running when he needed to, and save for a couple missed throws here and there. Uh, just another really great game uh, by Aaron Rodgers. A couple other performances I just wanted to quickly uh, point out. I thought Alex Light had a really nice game subbing in uh, both for David Bakhtiari and for Brian Bulaga uh, in spot duty. Actually had an opportunity to talk uh, to David Bakhtiari a little bit uh, earlier this week. He was uh, donating uh, actually 10,000 bowls of soup along with uh, Campbell's uh, to a local shelter here in Green Bay, Northeast Wisconsin Community Shelter. So first of all, great job by David Bakhtiari supporting the community. Uh, he and his mom were there. It was a really cool event. Uh, but I had an opportunity. Uh, they invited me down uh, to be able to interview David Bakhtiari, which was really cool. I have no idea why they chose me, but I'm very thankful that they did. And I uh, got, got about 10 minutes with David. And one of the things that I asked him uh, was him being a leader this offseason. I noticed a lot of times him mentoring Alex Light uh, specifically during the offseason and in training camp. And he really spoke uh, to some of that potential that Alex Light has uh, when I was interviewing him and said, you know, when he was a, a rookie that a lot of the other guys kind of took him under their wing and really supported him. And it's him giving back now and supporting guys like Alex Light. And he specifically used the word potential when it came to Alex Light. I thought you, I thought you saw, saw some of that today. Uh, you know, Light's by no way, shape or form a, a finished product at this point. And he has a ways to go. And he really struggled earlier in the season when he got in some spot duty. Not so much the case today. I thought he had a really nice game uh, subbing in both at left tackle and right tackle. Also, no easy task, you know, switching sides as the game goes on, getting called in at uh, the last second to, to sub for those players. And, uh, you know, kudos to him for the performance he put together. And then also that pass breakup by Chandon Sullivan. This is a player I've been really impressed by throughout the season so far. Uh, he worked his way ahead of Josh Jackson on that defensive back depth chart. Looked like he was ahead of Will Redmond today too. I'd have to go back and look at that a little closer. But at first glance, it looked like he was ahead of him in this specific game. And he just kind of keeps moving up that depth chart. Uh, he kind of looks like their dime defensive back at the moment behind, uh, you know, you have, of course, their starting safeties, Amos and, um, and Savage. And then their starting corners in Tremont, Jair, and uh, Kevin King. And then it looks like Sullivan's number six. And he's earned it. He's played great. And I thought he made a great read to break up that third down pass. Uh, trusted his instincts, exploded to the football, broke up the play, and uh, really came up with a, a, key, a key third down stop. Um, so great job by him. And I, I've really been impressed by the football that he's been playing so far this year. And he's going to he's gonna be somebody to really keep an eye on. He's, he's played corner. He's played safety. He's held up in coverage. He's taken really great angles to the ball today. He was their starting kick returner. I'm not sure how long that can continue, uh, but uh, I, I've just been really impressed by the play of Chandon Sullivan so far. 
I, I, I can't, I know I've reiterated this already too, but I just want to also give a, a ton of credit one more time to Andy Reid and Matt Moore in this game, because uh, I just thought that this game plan was awesome against Green Bay's defense. I thought Matt Moore executed it to perfection. Had it not been uh, for a fumble by Kansas City, uh, I think they would have had every opportunity to win this game. And uh, had it not been for some fantastic play by Green Bay's offense, uh, Kansas City's offense put together a winning performance and I think the the defense didn't necessarily hold up their end of the bargain. And of course, they were missing a lot of players as well. But I just thought this was really one heck of a performance, again, both by Andy Reid and Matt Moore. And I know I've mentioned that a few times already, but I wanted to reiterate it once more because I, I was that impressed by it. So kind of looking ahead now, that kind of does it for my breakdown of this specific game. But uh, one of the things that's coming up this week is the trade deadline. There's been a lot of talk as to what Green Bay should be doing. Should they go after a receiver, maybe a defensive player? There's one player that I think Green Bay should absolutely target, and it is a receiver, uh, but it has nothing to do with his ability to play receiver or trying to get another receiver for this offense. And that's Jakeem Grant. Uh, I thought Darius Shepard, of course, he already lost his kick return duties He's shown nothing as a punt returner. He's got limited action at wide receiver. Uh, hasn't shown enough there. Darius Shepard seems like an incredible story, a really likable person, uh, but I think he needs some time on the practice squad in, to continue to hone his skills. I just don't think he's quite ready yet, and I think he could be. You know, Hopefully they can get him back on the practice squad and uh, ready for next season. I'm not ready to give up on Darius Shepard yet, uh, but I don't necessarily know that the, the active 53 is is the best use of him at this moment. And I think Jakeem Grant would really fill that role nicely, not only as a dynamic kick returner, not only as a dynamic punt returner, but somebody who can use uh, as some of that uh, gadget offense, some of the reverses, the jet sweeps. I think he would add a a piece to this offense that Matt LaFleur doesn't specifically have. I think you could run a lot of unique motion plays with him in the offense. But again, this has nothing to do with what he can specifically even bring as a receiver. If he never sees the field on offense, which he should, uh, but even if he didn't, this is purely punt return and kick return related. I look back to that 96 Packers team having Desmond Howard as a returner who could be a game changer at any given moment. I think Jakeem Grant has that ability. Miami's solely looking to the future at this point, and they're willing to take assets anywhere they can get them. They just signed Jakeem Grant to a pretty affordable uh, long-term deal. I think it's a three- or four-year deal uh, that will keep him you know, on the team for the foreseeable future. It's not a bad deal, you know, for Green Bay should they trade for him. And I think that three or four million to bring in a player like that to really jumpstart a special teams unit that's really struggled so far would make a ton of sense. And then, oh, by the way, you get somebody that you can use on offense and can be a potential weapon for you. This is a 4-2-8-40 guy. He's only like 5-7. If you haven't had a chance to watch Jakeem Grant play, it's really worth your time. He's a really fun player. He drops some easy passes. He's got really small hands. And uh, he's, he's had a couple big drops this year already, but he's been pretty sure-handed on kick returns and punt returns. And I just think he could be a very explosive player that Green Bay should target. You know, maybe Gutekunst will be aggressive at the deadline. Maybe he'll try to add a player to defense. Um, you know, that inside linebacker position could be somewhere where they look to try to add somebody. But uh, I, I think Jakeem Grant would make a ton of sense. Looking around the rest of the NFC North today, 
Uh, Vikings, of course, beat the Redskins earlier this week in a fairly ugly game on Thursday night, but they came away with the win there. Lions beat the Giants today. Bears lose a heartbreaker to the Chargers, missing a last-second field goal. Their red zone offense basically imploded on them, and uh, Matt Nagy certainly some questionable decision-making, kneeling down on offense prior to kicking the field goal when there was some time left. They had some really bad management to end the first half. Mitch Trubisky looked better at times, but also had a horrible fumble that really turned this game in in the Chargers' favor. If you look at the standings now, Green Bay is on top with a 7-1 record. The Vikings are 6-2, the Lions 3-3-1, and and the Bears are at 3-4. So uh, Vikings only a game back of Green Bay, but uh, Packers have that tiebreaker as well. And of course, they're 3-0 in the division also, which gives them a huge leg up. But that uh, game with the Vikings down the road should loom large as they travel to Minnesota later this year in late December. Speaking of the the remainder of the Packers' schedule, uh, they will head to L.A. this week, uh, who again just came off a win uh, beating the Chicago Bears. Really a game that the Bears should have won. The Chargers did not look great in that game at all. Chargers are 3-5 and five now on the year. They had lost three in a row to the Broncos, the Steelers, and the Titans. Not exactly a murderer's row of opponents. They had lost three in a row prior to that game. Again, they did pick up the win against the Bears, but really not a game that the Chargers probably should have won. Uh, Bears had plenty of opportunities to put that game away, and even just a, a fairly easy field goal at the end wins that game for Chicago Good for Green Bay that Chicago didn't win that game. I don't know that the Chargers get a ton of momentum by winning that game. Honestly, it was a pretty ugly game, and they can't feel too great about what they put on tape. There's going to be a lot of opportunities to exploit that. Green Bay will finally have a game where they're facing an opponent that doesn't have a bye week or at least an extended uh, time off uh, before the game to do a little extra scouting. And my assumption is that that'll be a very pro Packers crowd, even though that the game is in LA. So it's in LA, Green Bay has to travel, but that stadium's probably going to feel like a home game for Green Bay. So hopefully they have the opportunity to move to eight and one. That should be a good game. Phillip Rivers, Aaron Rodgers, a good matchup there. And uh, Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler, I think is going to be a key focal point for the Green Bay defense. Of course, they've they've struggled with running games throughout the course of this season, and Gordon and Eckler uh, is a great one-two punch, and I think the, the game plan really has to start with stopping those two running backs. Uh, they haven't hit on all cylinders yet since Gordon's been back. I know they'll try to get him going next week against Green Bay, and it's going to be important that Green Bay really shuts those running backs down and makes the, the Chargers one-dimensional. All right. That was a lot to go over. I think that just about does it for me on this late night edition of the Packaday Podcast. Uh, if you're not already, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Make sure to join us tomorrow as Matt, Dan, and Janelle break down this game further and start looking ahead to Packers Chargers even a little bit more. Does it for me. The Packers are seven and one. They're on their way to Los Angeles. But for now, enjoy the victory Monday. And as always, go Pack Go.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.